One of the harsh realities of life is that there will be hard times we have to deal with. It's interesting. Um, I was thinking about this. Psalm 6, we're kind of going through the Psalms, and Psalm 6 is where we are. I know we've taken some detours in, in weeks, but Psalm 6 is where we are. And it's kind of about praying in the midst of hard times. And I thought, how how appropriate. Because this is kind of a hard time. I mean, I, I really don't know anybody um, that's not going through something right now of some sort, whether it's a personal sickness or a loved one who's sick or worry about someone that's happening in their lives or the loss of a loved one. I mean, there, there's just a lot going on. I, I meet with a group of pastors in our community every Tuesday to pray. Uh, and we pray for one another and we pray for our congregations. And, and and we've all we've all got things going on. I mean, it's not just me. It's not just the people I know. It's not just y'all and the people you know. It, it's basically everybody Everywhere at this particular season of life is seems to be in the process of going through a hard time. And, and those are they're not fun. They're not OK. They're not enjoyable in any way, but they are kind of a fact of life. I mean, there, there doesn't really seem to be any way to avoid the difficult times of life. And they come for a variety of reasons. Sometimes the the hard times in our life. Come because other people do things and their actions make our lives difficult. And sometimes the the hard times come because we do things and our actions make our lives difficult. And sometimes the hard times come because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world where bad stuff happens and nobody gets exempt from it. And if we know our Bible, we know that sometimes the hard time comes because God sovereignly sends them to us. In a season to bring sanctification to help us become more like Jesus. And so each one of us, we either are going through a hard time, we have recently come through a hard time, or the reality, and not a a sort of a negative view, but a reality is we are headed for a hard time. That, That is just the world we live in. So tonight as we look at Psalm 6, we're going to learn how we can pray in the midst of these hard times. So open your Bible to Psalm chapter 6. It should be on page 416 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 6, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thine hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord. Deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. And in the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night I make my bed swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be suddenly. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Title of the message tonight is Praying 
and the hard times. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we do know what it is to go through hard times. We've been in them. We have come through them. We have struggled in the midst of them. And Lord, we love your word because it is honest. Father, the people in the word uh, who are featured are sometimes, Lord, they are heroes of the faith. They are the people we look to and say, I want to be a lot like them. And yet, we see they go through these hard times. We see in the Psalms how David wrestles with the issues of life as he goes through the valleys and the shadows and the, the difficulties that he faces in his life. And Lord, we rejoice to see it's not just us. It's not because we're not faithful believers. It's not because we're not spirit filled. It's not because we didn't forward some email or, or post some meme. It's just a part of living in a world, God, that's hard. And even in the midst of a hard world, you're the same, you're good, you care. And you have shown this by giving us your word, which guides us on how to live in these times, how to make it through these times. So as we look at your word tonight, open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Open our hearts to take this and apply it to our lives. And Lord, I know we're not going to learn anything new tonight. We're going to learn familiar truths, but let them be applied to our hearts in new ways through the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, and help me to speak your word and your ways for your glory. Let your spirit take this word and apply it to our hearts to strengthen us, to encourage us. And Lord, as we're in the hard time, let us cry out to you. As we've come out of the hard time, let us remember this for what's coming in life. And if we see others who are going through these times, God, let us take what we learn here and share it with them so we can be a helper to them and we can point them to you. We ask all things in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the inscription over the psalm says this is a psalm of David. But we don't know what was going on in David's life. At this time. Now, from the psalm itself, we know it was a difficult time. I mean, the language clearly indicates David was going through a hard time in life, but we don't know which hard time David was going through. Was this in the times when he was running from Saul? Possibly. Was this a part of Absalom's rebellion? Possibly. Was this a written during the time when David was being punished by God because he had sent out Joab to get a census of the people? Could be. Is it possible this was from some other time that it's not recorded in Scripture, but was just a difficult time in David's life? Yeah, it could be. All we know is David wrote it and David was having a hard time. Now, the more I thought about this, the more I like the idea. Scripture does not tell us about the specific issue going on in David's life, because this makes it easier, I believe, for us to. To look at this and apply it to our life. Right? It's like to me like, like uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what that was. Right? We don't know what it was that was afflicting him, that caused him pain, that God said my grace is sufficient. And if we knew what it was, we might look at that and say, well, God's grace is only sufficient for that issue. 
But not knowing what it is, we can look at that and say, I'm afflicted by something in my life right now. And God's grace can be sufficient for me in this time. In a similar way, we can look at this and we can say, no matter what my hard time is, no matter what the issue in my life is right now, I can take from this, I can learn from this, and I can find strength and encouragement in God's Word through, through this time of David's life. Because I don't know what the specific issue was. Now, as we look at the issue, as we look at the psalm, it's clear David is praying. Right? This is not necessarily a journal entry as much as it is a, a written out prayer to God. He starts off talking to God, asking God not to rebuke him. Uh, and so as we look at this, what we see is in the midst of a hard time, David cries out to God. Pretty basic, pretty something we see over and over in David's life. But this is our example to follow. We should cry out to God in the hard times of life. Right? We should cry out to God in the hard times of life. Again, it, it, this is, is so basic, but we often forget the basic things. How many of us in the hard times of life have forgotten to cry out to God in the midst of it? Have gotten so overwhelmed, so burdened with the issues, so thinking, well, this is just me and God may not care or something along those lines that we forgot to cry out to God. That should be our first our first go to in the midst of a hard time. We cry out to God. Now, as we look at this psalm, we see three aspects of crying out to God in the hard times. These, I believe, again, they're basic things, but I believe they're all very, very important. First is be honest with God. So if we're going to cry out to God in the hard times of life, we need to be honest with God. David begins with some honesty. He, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? But David is crying out to God in a moment of hardness of his life. And in this doing so, he's being brutally honest with God. Now, in verse 1, I don't think he's asking God not to rebuke him or not to chasten him. David probably understood, as we all should, there, there are things we have done, David had done, which weren't right. The focus itself isn't on the chastening or on the rebuking. It's in thy hot displeasure. David is afraid if God were to chasten him in his anger, he would die. He is afraid God was going to flash with anger as he did against, say, Uzzah and, and smite him to death when he put his hand on the ark. In verse 2, David is honest about his weakness. I'm weak. I, I need to be healed. My bones are vexed. I, I think the picture is his life is painful. What's going on in his life, this hard time has caused him pain. It could be physical pain. Uh, the bones being Vexed, it could be sort of symbolic for David saying just his life is miserable. There could be emotional pain. We, we don't know. But it's sort of David is exhausted. David is weak. David is stressed. David is distraught. 
And it is affecting him. It seems physically, spiritually, emotionally, and in every other way. And then the last part of verse 3 is part of what really stuck in my heart. But thou, O God, how long? I mean, think about that. Doesn't that sound like he's on the verge of despair? I mean, we don't know how long this has been going on. We don't know how long this hard time has been happening. But David couldn't help but ask God how much longer he was going to have to endure it. And, and notice he, he asked, but thou, O God, right? How, how much longer, God, before you intervene? How much longer, God, before you do something to make this better? How much longer will I have to endure this physical pain? How much longer will I have to endure this spiritual pain? How much longer, God, before you get involved and you do something to help me? This is a a very honest prayer. David's prayer in Psalm 6 is not the, the flowery prayer of someone who's seeking to sound spiritual. It's not the pious sounding prayer of someone who wants to give the appearance of being religious. It's not the rote prayer of someone who's checking their box and then going on with their day. This is a a raw prayer of someone pouring their heart out to God during a very difficult time of their life. And they are pouring it out in an honest and an open way to God. Calling upon God to help them, telling God exactly what's going on, even expressing a measure of despair almost because God maybe hasn't intervened so far. This type of honesty should characterize all of our prayers, but it should especially characterize our prayers when we're going through the hard time. Being honest with God is not something we should ever fear. Doing in our lives. In the hard times as we cry out to God. We should be honest about our fears. About our hurts. About our feelings. About our questions. I mean this is exactly the way God wants us to be. When we come to Him. He doesn't want us to put on airs. He doesn't want us to put on a show. He wants us to be with Him. To be honest with Him. To be open before Him. To seek Him. And He especially wants this, I believe, during the hard times of our lives. And if we aren't, there are difficulties this brings. But let me give you quickly three reasons why we should be honest with God in our prayers, especially in our hard times. First, God knows what's going on inside of us. Right, Psalm 139 says that there is not a word on our tongue, but thou, God, knowest it already. Right? God knows the words we speak before we speak them. He is omniscient. He knows the thoughts we think, the attitudes we have. Even if we never whisper it to another soul, God knows all about it. So if I have these hurts, if I have these questions, if I have these fears and these doubts and these despairs, and if I take them to God, He's not going to say, What? What are you talking about? I had no idea you felt that way. God knew they were there. He was waiting for us 
to come to Him and pour our hearts out to Him about these things. We can't hide these thoughts from one another. We can hide these issues from those closest to us, but we, we cannot hide them from God. Secondly, not being honest with God hurts our relationship with Him. When we are not honest with God, when we are trying to keep something from Him in this way, all we end up doing is building a barrier between us and God. And this barrier will begin to transform our prayer lives, but not in a good way. It will take our prayers from a time of communion with God and drawing close to God and being strengthened through God to a time of formality. Lord, I'm supposed to pray, so here I am praying. Bless my family. God us to have a good day today. Here's the names on our prayer list. Amen. And that kind of dry formality, it robs our prayer life of, of drawing us closer to God, establishing any sort of intimacy with God. Do we want to be close to God in our relationship? Do we want to, to have our hearts strengthened by the grace of God? Do we want to experience the presence of God in our lives? And we have to be honest with God in our prayers. And thirdly, God can handle our honesty. Our honesty is not going to hurt God's feelings and make Him run off in the corner and cry. Our honesty is not going to make God angry where He smites us to death. Our honesty is not going to do any of those things. Scripture is filled with people who were ruthlessly, brutally honest with God during their hard times. People like Job, right, who, who said, I, I don't, I haven't done anything wrong. I wish I don't understand what's going on in my life. The book of Job, Job is really honest. We have Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet of God, but at one point he, he basically writes and said, God, you tricked me. This is, this is stupid what I'm doing. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. This is miserable. I feel like you've deceived me, God. Bold. Or, or Naomi from the book of Ruth who left with her family and came back with just a daughter-in-law. And when, her, when the people of the town said, oh, look, it's, it's Naomi. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for God has made me empty. And, and here's the thing about all of these people. Not only were they faithful to God in their lives, but they had close relationships with God. These are our heroes of the faith. And they weren't close in their relationship with God in spite of being honest with God. They were close in their relationship with God because they were honest with God. Be honest with God when you cry out to God in the hard times. Secondly, be humble before God. I really just want to focus on a, a part of verses 4 and 5, but verse 2. Look at verse 2. David says, have mercy upon me, O Lord. And then if you look at verse 4, he says, return, O Lord, and deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. So David is crying for God to deliver him, God to help him, God to do something in the midst of this. But David bases his plea for God's help on something specific. 
It is on God's mercy and not on David's merit. Right? David is not basing his request on his own good performance and his own personal goodness. He isn't saying, God, I, I did everything you wanted me to do. Now you owe me. You ought to fix this problem. Instead, what he's saying is, God, I need your mercy. In mercy, help me. Now, we've already seen this in previous Psalms, and we will see it again and again throughout the Psalms. And I think God emphasizes this to us so much because it's something we need to be reminded of over and over again. Our basis for going to God and asking for anything is always His mercy and never our merit. Now, I know we would all say we know this. Theoretically, I think we all know this. But we don't always seem to know it practically. This idea is best, whether or not we believe this, is best seen in the hard times of our lives. But here is what often happens in our American evangelical churches. We, We grow up and we're taught our dues and our don'ts. Right? We don't smoke, drink, smoke, drink, dip or chew. We don't date girls who do. We, we do our dues. We come to church. We read our Bible. We pray and we tithe. And we're raised with this idea of Christianity where it's about what you do and what you don't do. And while we would never describe it this way, what we're taught and what we believe is a performance-based relationship. A performance-based religion. If I don't do my don'ts and I do do my do's, then God will make my life fine. God will guard my life from difficulties and hard times. Now, there are all kinds of problems with a performance-based religion. Um, One of which is it's not gospel-centered Christianity. Paul tells us in Colossians, this kind of religion may look good on the outside, but it has no power to transform us on the inside. But that reality that it doesn't transform us on the inside doesn't hinder us most of the time. If we have bought into a performance-based religion, we can chug right along doing our do's, not doing our don'ts, even though we're not being changed on the inside. And we can chug right along until the hard times of life come. And this is where the fatal weakness of a performance-based religion is seen. Because here's what's happened. We work hard. If you've ever known somebody who had it, or if you've ever been one that had it, you work hard. It's hard work to always do your do's and never do your don'ts. It's, it is difficult To do those sorts of things. To keep that going and to stay up on the task. And you work hard at at doing and not doing. And then the inevitable happens. The hardship falls upon us. A test result goes bad. We get fired from our job. Our spouse leaves us. A loved one dies suddenly. Any number of bad things happen. And we begin to say things like, I don't deserve this, God. I was good. I did all the things I was supposed to do. I didn't do any of the things I wasn't supposed to do. God, I can't believe you let this happen to me after all I did. And so then we began to to list all we did. And all we refrained from. 
We do this because we've built up in our minds that if we do our do's and if we don't do our don'ts, we put God in our debt. We build up merit. We begin to earn something in God's sight. And the reality check that we all need from time to time is we never put God in our debt. God never, ever, ever owes us anything. Everything God does in our lives is an act of His gracious mercy toward us. Always. And I wanted to show you this from the Bible, but we don't have time to go there. But write this down and look at it tonight. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. And I'll just tell the story. It's a parable of Jesus. And he tells a story about a man who has a servant. And he said, if the servant works all day in the field and he comes in, does the master of the house say to the servant, oh man, you've worked really hard. Here, sit down and let me serve you dinner. He says, well, no. No, he doesn't. The master then sits down and tells the the servant, you serve me. And then, after the servant has worked outside all day and then served the master and then cleaned up afterwards, does the master gushingly, oh, thank you, oh, you're so wonderful. And Jesus says, no. He had not done anything exceptional. He had just done his duty. And the point of the parable is in the last verse, verse 10. And Jesus says, when you have done all I've commanded you to do, say, we are we have merely done our duty. We are unprofitable servants. Wow. You talk about an ego crushing story by the kindly loving Jesus. You mean if I do all my dues and I don't do any of my don'ts and I I keep everything in between. At the end, I'm still merely an unprofitable servant who has done nothing but my duty. Why? It's because we are still flawed. And we still sin. And we've still committed actions deserving God's wrath. Again, we we want to push back against that. No, I, I haven't. But but let's consider, what is sin? Sin is falling short of God's standard. Romans 3.23, right? So let's consider what God's standard is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And when we look through Scripture, that sort of love affects our, our values, our priorities, our actions, our attitudes, our reactions, our words. Every, I mean, there's nothing not included in loving the Lord our God while our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So just think about today. Did you today, did I today, at all times through the day, love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or were there times we loved something or someone more and did something different? Or the the other command, love your neighbor 
as yourself, which is sort of could be paired to do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Did you treat every person today you encountered as though you loved them and in exactly the same way you would want to be treated in their place? Or, or did we gossip about them? Or did we judge them? Or did we belittle them in some way? Or, or this from Philippians, do all things without griping and complaining. It, that's hard, right? All things. It means all things. Did you do everything you did today without griping and complaining? Did you do it as unto the Lord, giving thanks to God in the process? Did I? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. Again, values, priorities, attitudes, actions, reactions, words, everything. Did everything we did today get filtered through self-denial and cross-bearing in the way we lived and the way we acted? Now, we could, I could mention more, but you get the idea. Did we keep all of these perfectly today? If not, then guess what? We've sinned. We've fallen short of God's glorious standard and we have earned the wage of sin, which is death. But the good news is God gives us mercy instead of wrath. He gives us the mercy we don't deserve instead of the wrath we do deserve. We will need God's mercy every day of our lives. There will never be a day where we are so completely free of sin and our sinful nature is so dead and so crucified, we will not need the grace and the mercy of God. Mercy, not merit, will always be our basis when we go to God. There will never be a day where we go to God in prayer asking for His help and we have merit and say, God, because I did this, you owe me this action. It will always be in mercy. Mercy, Lord. So as we cry out to God, we cry out humbly to God. And then finally, be hopeful in God. Verse 6 and 7, things are bad for David. Look at what he says. I'm weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of mine enemies. Now, think about what he's saying here. I, I was thinking about that. I like the descriptions he gives. I'm weary because of my groaning. Have you ever been so overcome with despair, discouragement, sadness, that just the sadness itself wore you out? I mean, just you were tired, not because you had worked hard and done all of this, but just the sadness, the hardship of your life at that moment exhausted you. Well, that's where David is. And he says, I, all night I make my bed to swim. Now, I don't think he's talking about crying there necessarily, because the next verse is about crying. Again, I, I think about, have you ever been... In those times where you're that tired, you're that sad that you just your whole body just sweats. Stress 
makes you sweat and it's like you, it's almost like a fever breaking on you. That's what he's going through. He waters his couch with his tears. He just cries constantly. And his eye is consumed because of grief. It waxes old because of his enemies. And I picture this crying to the point that your eyes are sort of red and puffy and they hurt. Have you ever done that? Where something was so bad in your life, so wrong in your life that you cried till your eyes literally hurt. And it was almost like you ran out of tears. It felt like there was dirt in your eyes. That's where David's at. But then suddenly things change. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplications. The Lord will receive my prayers. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. David's prayer, in the midst of all of this going on, suddenly shifts from how bad his life is and how miserable things are to there's a point of of hope. Uh, David has done what... What we've called in times past the the praying through. He has cried out to God and now he knows. He knows his God has heard his prayer. He knows his God cares about what's going on in his life. He knows his God is going to act on his behalf at some point. But here's the deal. Nothing has changed. These aren't days in between verses 6 and verse 7 and verse 8. This is like the very next line. David is still in the midst of this hard time. His bones still wax weak. He's still vexed. All of these things are going on. But but he remembered. His God hears. His God cares. His God will act. David's perspective has changed because he's now hoping In his God, his God has acted on his behalf in the past and he is confident his God will act on his behalf in the present and in the future. His hope is in the fact his God cared about what was going on in his life. His hope is based on the fact God heard his prayers. His hope is based on the fact God would do something in response to his prayers. We should be hopeful as we cry out to God in a hard time for these things as well. Look at what we're told in Hebrews. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Such a great passage. Jesus came to earth and took on human form, lived in the world we lived in. And so he is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses and our struggles. And the idea of sympathize is stronger than the English word sympathize. It's more like he feels it with us, right? It's not, oh, that's bad. Gosh, it's more. He feels our pain. He's going through it with us. He he understands our pain when we when we're sick or our loved one is sick and we're afraid. He understands our pain when we suffer trials, when we're discouraged, when we're heartbroken, when we face death or a loved one faces death or we've lost a loved one. 
He understands when we feel lonely. He understands when we feel helpless. He understands when we feel hopeless. He understands when we face temptation. And the great promise of this passage is that when we come to Him, we find what we need. We obtain mercy that we don't deserve and grace which will help us in our time of need. The promise, a promise, not, a, not a, a could or a should, a promise is when we go to God in these times and we go the boldly to the throne of grace and we cry out to God, He will hear our prayers. He will be merciful to us and He will give us the grace which will strengthen us and be sufficient For the trials we're facing at the moment. During the hard times of life, we absolutely have absolute, we should have absolute assurance God's there. We should absolutely have confidence we can take our problems to God. We can cry out to Him and He will give us mercy and He will give us grace and He will give us what we need in that. Be hopeful in God's faithfulness to do what He says He will do as we cry out to God in the hard times of life. Hard times are sure to come into each one of our lives. And when they come, we each have a choice to make about how we'll respond. We will either draw closer to God or we will draw away from God. And that's just the reality of how we... Everybody responds. And if we want to be sure that we let our hard times drive us to Jesus, drive us closer to Him, we must cry out to Him in that time. Cry out to Him honestly. Cry out to Him humbly. And cry out to Him filled with hope that we will find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are wonderful and amazing and awesome. We are thankful, O oh God.